Welcome to episode 52 of the Montana Values Podcast. In this show, we'll talk all about how justice delayed is justice denied. Let's join our host, Tammy Fisher. Listen up, Montana. Today, we're going to talk about every conservative's favorite and debated subject, constitutional rights. Specifically, we're going to take the plunge into a discussion about just how important our constitutional rights are and how that level of importance is reflected in our support of the most unseemly of constitutional rights, that Sixth Amendment right to an attorney. The Sixth Amendment to the United States Constitution tells us, In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. And all of those components, we can all agree, are important. But it's that last component, the right to a lawyer, that causes us to really evaluate if our desire as conservatives to uphold the promises of the Constitution reigns superior to our desire to protect crime victims. And that then causes us to evaluate if we can, in fact, do both. Can we agree to give full force and effect to providing a lawyer to all criminal defendants and still protect crime victims? Because it's complicated. But as the Sixth Amendment Center informs us, the right to counsel under the U.S. Constitution is actually a fairly simple concept. If you are charged with a crime for which you face potential time in jail, then you have the constitutional right to have a lawyer to assist you in your defense. And if you can't afford to hire a lawyer on your own, then the government must provide you with a qualified attorney at public expense. Here's why. Without the aid of an effective lawyer, almost anyone stands the risk of going to jail when charged with a crime. Most people do not know, for example, what is and is not admissible in a court of law, let alone how to procedurally convince 12 jurors that they are innocent. If this is true of even the most affluent and educated among us, is it then fair to let someone else who has fallen on hard times or has been let down by our country's educational system or is not yet an adult face a loss of liberty at the hands of government simply because they lack the guiding hand of counsel to navigate the complexities of our legal system? In 1963, the United States Supreme Court answered with a definitive no. In Gideon versus Wainwright, the court said, quote, Reason and reflection require us to recognize that in our adversary system of criminal justice, any person hailed into court who is too poor to hire a lawyer cannot be assured a fair trial unless counsel is provided for him. This seems to us to be an obvious truth. End quote. In the intervening 50-plus years, the Supreme Court has consistently extended the promise of Gideon to any criminal case in which a defendant may potentially lose their liberty including direct appeals, juvenile delinquency proceedings, misdemeanors, misdemeanors with suspended sentences, and appeals challenging a sentence as a result of a guilty plea. But what seems obvious to jurists within the hallowed halls of the Supreme Court may not be so clear to others. And some jurisdictions nationwide have mistakenly assumed that, so long as every defendant is provided with someone with a bar card to stand next to them, then the Sixth Amendment right to counsel is satisfied. This is not true. Through a long series of cases, 
the court has said the right to counsel is the right to an effective attorney. Unfortunately, in the over half century since the U.S. Supreme Court affirmed that the right to counsel is an obligation of state governments, carrying out this simple concept has become more and more complicated. The difficult realities of local governance, providing critical social services like roads, hospitals, and schools, while keeping our communities safe, all with the limited tax dollars available, cause policymakers to continually look for ways to meet the absolute minimum demands of the Constitution, while doing so at the lowest possible cost. So there's the problem, folks. If we uphold the Sixth Amendment, should we not devote then the same resources to public defenders as we do prosecutors? Should the weight of the government in criminal cases be met with equal weight of the defense? That seems fair, right? But in reality, our policymakers really hate the cost of funding the public defender system. And listen, they come by this disdain honestly and with good reason. Most folks charged with a crime have, in fact, committed a crime. So the thought of throwing enormous weight and money towards a dollar-for-dollar defense of someone who is likely guilty, perhaps even caught red-handed in the criminal act, seems like a monumental waste of money. But the Constitution doesn't provide its Sixth Amendment guarantee to only the innocent. The right, or the guarantee, is provided to all accused, which means the guilty and the innocent. The Sixth Amendment doesn't discriminate based upon outcome, conviction, or acquittal, and it doesn't discriminate based upon economic status. Constitutional rights extend to all Americans, not merely those of sufficient means. Although state and local governments must balance other de important demands on the resources, the Constitution does not allow for justice to be rationed to the poor due to insufficient funds. After the Gideon decision, public defender systems were set up throughout the nation, and Montana set one up too, and it wasn't good. Montana delegated primary responsibility for the funding and administration of its indigent defense systems to counties. Counties mostly utilized a contract system, an assigned council system, or some combination of the two. Under the contract system, county officials, those elected county officials, those county commissioners, contracted with local attorneys to handle some or all of the county's indigent defense work, usually for a flat annual rate. And that's, of course, fine if all you're doing is DUI defense. But what if you have a smattering of DUIs and then a homicide in there? You only get paid once for the full year on a flat rate basis. It doesn't account for the complexities of the types of charges. The terms of the contract and the rate of compensation, again, were determined by the county commissioners. Under the assigned council system, the local district court judges appointed counsel on a case-by-case -case basis, and the county paid the attorneys at an hourly rate. That rate, the last I heard, was 60 bucks an hour, a buck a minute. The rate of compensation in most counties was determined by the judges. In Flathead County, it was 60 bucks an hour. In other counties that were poor, it was much less. And the judges would set those rates in consultation with county officials and, of course, those rates varied from county to county. Between 1985 and July 2003, the state reimbursed counties for the cost of providing defender services to adults, and only those adults who were charged with felonies. 
So the state said, yeah, we'll reimburse you counties for what you're out for public defense, but only for adults charged with felonies. The counties remained responsible for the funding of indigent defense services for juvenile delinquency proceedings and misdemeanor proceedings in the justice and city courts. So if you're a poor county in Montana, how much funding do you think you will designate to juvenile cases and misdemeanor cases? Not much. Sometimes nothing at all. And for those state-funded adult felonies, well, state reimbursement was only guaranteed to the extent that funding was available because the program was historically funded through a licensing tax on motor vehicles. And so the amount of available funding fluctuated every year. As a result, the state reimbursed the counties for a percentage of their monthly expenditures on an ongoing basis throughout the year. And hopefully at the end of the year, If there was sufficient funding, the state would reimburse the counties for whatever approved expenses were outstanding. But what happened when the state didn't get sufficient funding from the car licensing tax? Well, the counties just weren't reimbursed. And so they took it in the shorts. So the incentive across the board on the judicial level, on the county level, on the state level was to keep costs low. Don't pay. Don't appoint because we don't have the money. But not having the money isn't an excuse to violate the Constitution. And Montana got away with its system until 2002 when the ACLU sued the state. They said, what you have as a public defender system sucks. It doesn't actually provide adequate defense and the quality of the defense attorneys is subpar. They are underfunded and undertrained and they don't have anywhere near the resources that prosecutors have in the state. And the ACLU was right in some instances. There are really only two things you need to comply with the Constitution with respect to the right to an attorney. One, sufficient state funding, and two, quality resources, including attorneys, support staff, and investigators. That's it. And those two things are very difficult to accomplish. You can't have one without the other. You have to have funding and resources. If you have funding and no attorneys, you can't meet the plain language of the Constitution. If you have attorneys and no funding, you can't adequately provide a defense. You got to have both, and we rarely ever have both. But none of us look at public defenders with the same eye as we do prosecutors. I was a prosecutor. I got to wear the white hat. I got to seek justice for victims. I got to represent the state of Montana. And the best part of a closing argument for me was saying, on behalf of the state of Montana, thank you for delivering justice for these victims. It sounds corny, but I really thought that I was moving the ball forward, fighting for those who had been taken advantage of, yada, yada, yada. I bought all of that stuff. And public defenders, if you aren't in the criminal justice system, well, They're viewed as the redheaded stepchildren of the criminal justice family. And that's terrible. Because truth be told, if we are really honest, public defenders have the toughest job in the criminal justice system. They represent people they hate, but do it because they believe in the Constitution. Believe that the state must pass a number of hurdles before their clients go to jail. And they make sure that those hurdles are in place and that the state meets its burden every single time. And they are overworked, largely underpaid for the caseloads they carry. And every day they meet with unsympathetic clients because they don't pick their clients. 
prosecutors, now we get to pick our clients because prosecutors have discretion in what cases to charge. They don't like who the victims are. They don't have to charge those cases. Public defenders don't have that luxury. So public defenders get a bad rap because good public defenders are wicked smart and work incredibly hard to make sure the constitutional rights of their clients are preserved, even when they might even hate their clients, even when they know their clients are guilty. But who graduates from law school dying to be a public defender? A few kids in every class do. One of my classmates, who I went to undergrad and law school with, was destined to be a public defender. He loved the Constitution. He loved the intricacies of criminal law, and he was a true believer in the rights of the accused. And he's brilliant. But other than him and a few other classmates, very few law students want to be public defenders because we, too, have a view towards public defenders that's hard to shake. Think about your typical Montanan, Mickey. If I tell you I represent the state to seek justice for crime victims and support cops in their investigations, what do you think? I'd like to take you to lunch with drinks. Right. Now, what if I tell you that I make sure every person accused of crimes gets justice and that may mean that I represent pedophiles, rapists, and murderers? Now, what do you think? My carnal nature would like to cut your brake lines. Right. So that's how almost all of us think. But that bias is not consistent with the promises of our Constitution. Chief Justice Warren Burger wrote in 1972 that society's goal should be that the system for providing the counsel and facilities for the defense should be as good as the system which society provides for the prosecution. And here's what Montana was doing prior to 2003, according to a report. Montana has done nothing to ensure parity between the prosecutorial and defense functions. For example, state law mandates that county prosecutors work under the direction and supervision of the state's attorney general, but does not designate a centralized defender supervisor. State law requires that county attorneys in large counties work full-time, have at least five years' experience, and receive a base salary of $50,000 with periodic increases, but is silent as to defender qualifications or compensation. State law provides for the establishment of a county attorney assistance program to provide training and technical assistance to county prosecutors, but does not provide the same for public defenders. While the state provides prosecutors in the six counties with assigned council systems with staff, operational resources, computers, and internet access, it does not provide defenders in those counties with the same. Attorneys who cannot afford to pay for office overhead, computers, software, phone, photocopying, secretarial and paralegal assistance through hourly billing fees must go without. As of July 2003, neither of the two primary indigent defense providers in Lake County had a secretary or a paralegal, adversely affecting their ability to maintain contact with their clients. As one defender stated, The problem you run into is a one-man operation. You are sitting there talking to someone and you get a call. You've got a choice. A lot of times I will not answer the call. The Lake County Attorney's Office has both a secretary and a paralegal. One of the Lake County public defenders testified that he has no access to internet legal research tools. Instead, he must sometimes travel 70 miles to the University of Montana Law School to get adequate legal research materials. Whereas prosecutors have access to the investigatory resources of police, sheriffs, and FBI, 
indigent defense investigators in all of the counties except Missoula must be obtained through a petition to an approval by the judge. In some areas, there simply are no investigators who do defender work. So in 2003, in response to these issues, the state developed a centralized public defender office. We now have a chief public defender and many offices staffed similar to prosecutor offices across the state. Public defenders now have a salary that's in parity with prosecutors, so they can compete economically with county attorney offices for attorneys who wish to work in criminal law. But while the state got the form right, meaning the infrastructure they got right, the funding has been all wrong from the inception. The sheer volume of cases equals enormous cost. So as the public, and this is the problem, folks, we want tough on crime prosecutors. Well, because of that, that means a lot of charges are filed and lots of defendants are poor. So that means lots of money is needed to defend And remember, public money, lots of our money then is needed to defend the indigent who are accused. It's a curse and it's cyclical. In 2017, the system was sinking fast financially. Listen to this report. During the last two days of hearings, attorneys from across the state gathered in a small third floor room in the Capitol telling lawmakers about budget cuts that they say are adding to their already burdened work. Quote, My stress is through the roof, said Alicia Backus. She's a public defender in Kalispell. She's been on the job for about a year and a half. During that time, a statewide budget crunch has pushed the Public Defender Commission to outline cuts to offset an anticipated $3.5 million shortfall. That's about 5% of the Office of the Public Defender biennium budget. Some of those cost savings came in the form of hiring freezes, moving around discretionary funds, or proposed legislation that will free up attorneys' time to work on other cases. The commission's plan also limits the use of outside contractors to help with public defender workloads. Quote, part of this mitigation means that I take all cases. I take misdemeanors, I take felonies, I take every type of felony, I take involuntary commitments, adoption, dependency neglect cases, and also guardianship and juvenile cases, Backus says. In fact, I am assigned right now lead counsel to a deliberate homicide case with a year and a half of experience, she said. The biggest challenge we have is simply the number of cases coming into the system, says Chief Public Defender Bill Hooks. Hooks says public defenders have no control over the number of cases they have to work on. Montana law requires that if someone can't afford an attorney, the state will provide one. And right now, caseloads are growing. Hooks says courts are especially seeing an increase in the number of criminal and child abuse and neglect cases. He says abuse and neglect cases have increased 50% over the last two years. That growth has some public defenders worried that they won't be able to ethically continue doing their job. Hooks says in some cases, if a court determines that public defenders didn't do a good enough job, it could mean the whole trial has to be done over again. Other attorneys fear their current workload burden could end up costing them their license to practice law. Quote, we're not giving effective, competent representation, and that is required by our Constitution. This is important. You've got to fund us, says Nicole Gallagher, a public defender in Billings. Gallagher says she handles felony cases and currently has about 80 she's working on. She says she'll turn over that caseload several times a year, 
exceeding the yearly workload limit of 150 felony cases prescribed by the American Bar Association. Quote, if I'm not giving competent, effective representation, that is a license issue, and I lose my license. And then you have another poor person out there who needs help and can't afford it, Gallagher said. When public defenders can't represent every defendant in a single case, for conflict of interest reasons, or when they just have too much work, public defenders sometimes get help from outside attorneys. But under the budget cuts outlined by the Public Defenders Commission, some of that outside contracting would stop, and in some places that's already happening. Again, Nicole Gallagher. This mitigation plan has eliminated the contract positions, which means that all of the cases that would have gone to contract attorneys, there was some 62 in my region before this mitigation plan, now come in-house. That is absolutely outrageous for anyone to try to give effective and competent service, she said. After the first day of hearings, Democratic Representative Kimberly Dudick took a moment to address the small crowd of public attorneys gathered in the Capitol hearing room. She's one of the legislators in charge of reviewing the Office of Public Defender Budget and deciding how the office gets funded. Quote, it's not that we don't hear what you're saying, because we hear what you're saying. But as you see, we have no money in the state budget, Dudick said. We can't just keep hiring more employees. So we're trying to figure out how do we make the agency function and give you the resources you need, she said. And that's the thing, folks. Montana hasn't made funding the public defender systems a priority. And we all know why. Where do you want to reduce funding to offset the public defender system needs? The foster care system? Roads? Bridges? Medicaid? The problem hasn't been solved and is only getting worse. now. Because of the budget problems and lack of interest by attorneys in working for the Office of Public Defenders, the chief public defender is getting sanctioned by the district court. The person with no control over their budget is being held in contempt by a judge. I've never been held in contempt, and I can't imagine what it must be like, especially when you have very little control over the actual contemptuous conduct. OPD director Rhonda Lindquist was held in contempt of court in Yellowstone County recently by Judge Don Harris. Two days later, Ms. Lindquist and her colleagues were in Helena telling the Law and Justice Interim Committee, do something. Here's how it went, according to the Gazette. Montana's public defender's office is asking state officials for help as it continues to face trouble recruiting and retaining attorneys. Travis Tilleman, with the state-funded office that provides legal representation for people who can't retain their own counsel, says the state can't pay competitive wages. I hate to say it's a problem that needs to be fixed with money, but it's a problem that needs to be fixed with money, Tilleman says. It's far from the first time the office has run into money and staffing troubles. Tilleman says there are four open attorney positions in Billings, a public defender turned down a job in Bozeman due to unaffordable housing, and the office's turnover rate is 26%. The office is expecting to see a rise in caseloads as COVID-19 restrictions have lifted and people can go to bars again. Officials are also expecting more child abuse and neglect cases as children are once again around mandatory reporters in schools and childcare. The most daunting problem facing the department is money. OPD pays attorneys just $56 an hour to contract attorneys. 
a third of the federal contract rate for public defenders. The department also faces high turnover as its attorneys are paid 13000 less per year than other state Department of Administration lawyers. I can't let this go without saying, our attorneys are the lowest paid in state government, and that was in the audit done in 2020, said OPD Director Rhonda Lindquist at Wednesday's meeting. As we try to comply with that, we continue to have that conversation about our attorneys and being fairly compensated. Lindquist was ordered by Yellowstone County District Court Judge Donald Harris on August 17th to appear before the court after learning of 663 unassigned cases in the 13th Judicial District, which covers 16 courts throughout Yellowstone, Bighorn, Carbon, and Stillwater Counties. As of Wednesday, the office had 691 unassigned cases across the state. The Billings office currently has 31 and a half full-time lawyers, but to adequately service the caseload, the department would need 43 full-time lawyers. As a result of Monday's hearing, the department was fined around $500 for every unassigned case in the judge's department, which could be around five dollars to $10,000 to be paid to the county. The judge also ordered that any case coming to his courtroom must have a lawyer signed within two to three days as set forth by OPD policy. Our immediate response to this issue in Billings is to assign one attorney per judge, and it is unworkable. That is essentially almost 400 cases for one attorney, said Brian Smith, OPD's public defender administrator. But we need someone assigned when we're trying to comply with the judge's order, but at the same time maintain an ethical standard. To address the Billings problem, the department said it is looking to hire paralegals from temp agencies, invest money the department spends on contract attorneys on full-time employees, and hire two attorneys in Missoula that will work in Billings. And last month, the department said it started advertising flexible living accommodations to recruit more lawyers. So think about that, folks. There are 691 unassigned cases across the state. You know what that means? That means there's 691 criminal defendants who are likely sitting in jail waiting until they have an attorney assigned to them. 691 people across the state who are indigent defendants are required to have attorneys and no one has been assigned to them. So what would you do if you're one of them? You're too broke to afford an attorney and you're sitting in jail waiting, apparently, for somebody to be hired as your attorney because they haven't been assigned yet. And you can't tell an attorney, here's your 400 cases to defend. At the outset, that's malpractice. It would be malpractice for the state to hand an attorney 400 cases and said, go ahead and adequately defend these people. You can't do it. It is impossible. And so you're forced in this position where now the department is being sanctioned by the court for failing to ensure the constitutional rights reserved to every criminal defendant are protected. But who funds the department? We do. You and I. So we're paying the fine. We're paying for the public defender system, but we're also paying for the fines incurred by the public defender system because they don't have adequate resources to meet the constitutional requirements to provide defense attorneys to indigent clients. So we're paying the fine. 
And that's where the rubber meets the road, folks. Do we value the Constitution? I mean, do we really revere the contents of the Constitution as superior to anything else in government? Or are we just going to continue paying lip service to it? Because we can't, as conservatives, wave the Constitution in front of everyone as the foundational document for our government without actually meeting its terms. And for some of us, the idea that a criminal defendant caught red-handed killing, raping, or otherwise harming an innocent victim, the idea that that person gets the same resources to defend as the prosecutor gets to prosecute is a tough pill to swallow because none of us want a criminal defendant who is in fact guilty to get off on a technicality. But what we really don't want is an innocent person accused of a crime to be convicted or to linger in jail because we failed as a society and as a state government to protect their constitutional rights. Is deference to the Constitution a Montana value? Because if it is, get out your checkbooks. Thank you for taking us with you on your journey today. And we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Montana Values Podcast. Consider sponsoring the show by going to our website, montanavaluespodcast.com, locating the sponsor page and clicking on the donate button. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at MTValues. Find us on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. What's your favorite Montana value? How do you live it? Write to us. Our email address is montanavaluespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.